was just for fun Those days are gone So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So there. Welcome to episode 40 of So There. I'm Tom Karamitis. And I'm all by myself. For this is this is one of the two episodes you're about to hear that Gary and I threatened to do. Um, and these episodes are kind of based on um, the way this whole podcast came about. Um, Gary and I, for a long time, have... Uh, communicated with each other by leaving voicemails and only voicemails for each other. I think we both came to the conclusion that we don't like being interrupted by the other guy. We want to say what we want to say and we kind of want to pontificate. So we ended up like when I, whenever I see Gary's name on my phone that he's calling, I never answer because he'll be, he'll be aggravated if I answer, and he just wants to leave a voicemail. And I do the same for him. So that's kind of the way this podcast was actually, actually came about, was we thought, you know what? Let's talk at each other for a few minutes, and then the other guy can't say anything, and we'll kind of go back and forth that way. So if, in fact, if you go back and listen to like episode one of this podcast, that's kind of the way we started out. Um, but we... we you know, it, it wasn't really sustainable. We kind of got away from it fairly quickly, but that was that was kind of the inspiration for for us doing this silly podcast. So we thought, you know, um, we're kind of considered. We kind of compared ourselves to like a dying rock band that was reaching the end of its usable life as a rock band and thought, you know what? It's time to do a solo album, you know? So, uh, this is my solo album and, uh, you're also going to hear Gary's solo album. Now, Gary and I were very, very careful, uh, like many groups that do solo albums. Um, I've read that the, the, the artists will become very secretive when they're doing their solo albums. Right? They don't want the other members of the band to know what they're doing. So Gary and I have very much been treating this, this solo episode of the pod the same way. To the point where I wanted to make sure I did mine first before I even heard Gary's. Because if I heard his first, it might influence what I do. So I have no idea if this is going to be five minutes long or three and a half hours. I'm I am uh, concerned about segues. I'm concerned about uh, um, drawing a blank. You know, one of the things when you when you do a podcast with another person, you can kind of relax for a couple seconds and they talk and you have something to react to, and a lot of it is acting and reacting. And but this feels very Rachel Maddow-ish to me. 
I don't really watch her. My, my wife tends to watch her, but I'll walk by the TV, and I think she's on MSNBC. And she just talks. I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, she just talks for her whole show. I don't think I've ever seen her actually interview anybody, but um, I'm just amazed how she does it. She's obviously not reading from a teleprompter. I imagine she has notes, but it's just, uh, it's just really fascinating to me. So, um, anyway, so that's kind of that was kind of the inspiration for these these two solo episodes you're listening to of So There. All right, all right. Um. I wanted to start off by talking about a couple of pet peeves of mine. I like pet peeves. And this way I don't have Gary Doyle to tell me he disagrees with the pet peeves. Um, and this is a good one for me to do on the solo pod anyway, because uh, it has to do with golf and playing golf. And Gary does not really play golf. I am not a good golfer, but I enjoy playing golf. Um, and one of the things that I find sacred about golf is being out on a beautiful piece of land and the times I've played by myself, I mean, it's incredible. You, the only thing you hear is like, you know, the wind through the trees, the birds, you know, it's just absolutely magnificent. And then if you're playing with friends, that's great too, because you're having conversation and it's social and stuff. But something has crept into golf over the past five or six years, which really, I don't really like. And it kind of came to a head about a week ago. And that is people who have now started to bring radios with them on the golf course so they can have their tunes as they play. And you know, a lot of times I'll play as a single, right? I'll join an existing group and, and the existing group I'm playing with will say like, hey, do you, you know, do you mind if we play music? Do you mind if I, we play our radio or whatever? And, you know, what are you supposed to say? You know, in my heart, I wish you wouldn't do that. But, you know, I don't want to be a dick. So, of course, I say, sure, you know. But, you know, what are the odds that you're going to like somebody else's playlist when you think about it? You know, what are the odds... Flash forward ahead to this past week, uh, playing with a guy, and he said, hey, do you mind if, mind if I play my music or on the golf course? And I was like, sure. And he said, um, yeah, it's like, I got, it's like a 70s playlist. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s. You know, this, this might not be that terrible. So I said, sure. One of the songs he played uh, was probably the worst song probably one of the worst songs ever written. Uh, certainly it was one of the worst songs of the 70s. Um, and it was called Muskrat Love, written by Captain and Tennille. Uh, and here's a section of it for you. Looks like muskrat get the idea it was so i i mean i just was i i just 
it, I was incredulous. I, I couldn't understand how that song would find its way onto a person's playlist. Now, I'm not anti-Captain and Tennille, you know? They weren't my, I didn't particularly like them that much, but I kept an open mind. But my gosh, so, th- th- this guy had to, had to make the conscious decision to put muskrat love on his playlist. So, all right, so, so music on the golf course, that's one of my things. I'll give you another thing, and this came from a comment that Gary Doyle made to me. Um, and I didn't say anything about it at the time, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll discuss this on a future podcast with him. But I thought, you know what, this would be better to do without Gary being able to comment on it, so I'll talk about it now. <clears throat> Gary meant, Gary had some, some guy over to his house recently to clean their windows, um, and he said it was expensive, and they did a good job, and, and I don't know how much he paid. Let's just say he paid. Let's just say it was you know five hundred dollars. So Gary said to me, um, "Yeah, you know." And then with tip, I you know it ended up being six hundred dollars. And I thought, with tip, you, you really you, you tip the guy. I I have almost every week that goes by, I am getting more and more confused and frustrated at the status of tipping. When do you tip, right? I used to be able to kind of count on one hand tipping instances, right? There's things, basically everything associated with a restaurant, right? And a nice restaurant would have a tip, right? You're going to tip your maitre d'. You're going to tip your your waiter, waitress. If you parked your car there in that valet parking, you're going to tip your valet guy. Okay, get that. It's all tipping situations. You will tip in a taxi cab, right? That was always the way I was always assumed it should be. You always tip your driver unless you had terrible service. But I think for the most part, that was kind of it. If you have a contractor over to your house, it never dawned on me that you would tip that person. You you work out a price, you negotiate a price, and that's the price you paid him. I was kind of thinking, okay, now, you know, a few weeks ago, I had an electrician come over to rewire an outlet. And on the phone, he said, yeah, you know, I could do it for 125 bucks. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Was I supposed to tip him on top of that? Right? I never dawned on me. And, and, and he certainly didn't act like, you know, and I paid him with a check and he did certainly didn't act like, well, where's, where's the rest of it? So I was, I, I was really, I was just uh, confused and, and, and perplexed by where do you draw the line of tipping? I know you go, a lot of places you go in now, you know, at, 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 you, you can tip the barista at, at, at Starbucks. There's any number of places you go into uh, will have a tip jar on the counter. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know where you draw the line. Do you say, okay, anybody who gives you a degree of personal service should get a tip? Okay, fine. Does that mean you tip the cashier? Does that mean you tip the pharmacist? I, I, and I'm not really, honestly, I'm not being trying to be facetious. I just don't understand anymore. Um, so I, I, would, I would suggest that, we, that this country does something where we kind of rethink this whole tipping thing. I think right off the bat, we should, we should raise the price of all restaurant meals 20% and, and, and give a proper wage to waiters and waitresses. I, th- I think people who depend on tips, their, their salary should be increased so they no longer have to 
depend on tips. I just think it's it's too random. And I think, and also the other thing is, I, I think obviously country to country, the, the rules are completely different. I've been in some countries where you try to tip them and they look at you like you have a third third eye in the middle of your head, you know? Um, so I would push back on Gary and say, Gary, I think you, it was a nice gesture, but I think tipping the guy who did your, your windows, a contractor in your home, I think, uh, I don't think that was necessary. So there. You know, uh, recently, <clears throat> a guy who used to work at Leo Burnett for a long time, who I'd worked with a number of times, he passed away. He had been ill. And there was an announcement on Facebook. Um, and, you know, people were writing in comments about him. And um, it was all wonderful to read. Everyone had wonderful memories of this person. And, I, you know, it's, it reminded me a little bit of you know, the things you hear at a funeral or, or a wake. And wouldn't it be nice for the person who's gone to have heard these things while they were living, you know? And not just living and being dying and being sick, but but telling people these things periodically, you know? I mean, I, I, I've sat back so many times and thought, wow, you know, if, if, if this person could hear how much his friends cared about him and how much how he inspired people and how he helped people's careers and all that stuff i mean my gosh you t talk about something you can do for a person that that doesn't cost anything but makes them would make them feel so good i just think that would be i think we should work that in somehow it should be like a birthday ritual or if, maybe if not every year then maybe like every time you hit a birthday with a five or a zero at the end you know people can do that kind of that living tribute. I just think it's such a, a nice gesture and it's wonderful to hear it about somebody who's passed away. But boy, I, I just think it would make the person feel so great if they heard about it while they were living. It made me think a little bit of, um, in a weird way, seeing, you know, w when you see work friends and you see them in a different environment, or you see family members playing a role that you've never seen them play before, how kind of cool it is to see them uh, doing these other things. Like, like I'll give you an example. Uh, example will be Gary. I, I, a couple times Gary has asked me to help judge work, and he teaches a class. He teaches a class at Loyola. And a couple times I, he asked me to join and kind of judge the work. And I'll tell you, it's fun seeing Gary teach. I mean, he's a really good teacher. I mean, and you know, you, you know somebody for years and years and years, but you really know them, you know, one dimensionally. You know them, in Gary's case, I know him as a creative director, you know, and then years later, you know him as a friend, but I had never seen him as a teacher before. Um, and I just thought that was really, really cool. Gary was is a really, really good, entertaining teacher, and it was fun kind of seeing him in, in that role. And Gary is one of the, the, the relatively few creatives I've worked with that um, can speak in lots of different voices. Um, he wor he's worked on lots of different pieces of business, and, and he does really strong work across 
so many of these different types of businesses, but he can speak effortlessly um, on a business account or, or doing humor, um, you know, um, and, and, you know, whether it was Kellogg or Nintendo or Edward Jones or Morgan Stanley or whatever it is, Gary is one of those writers that um, he can, he seems to be able to effortlessly move from assignment to assignment. And I, uh, that's, uh, that's relatively rare. And I, I admire that. I think he does a, I think he does a really nice job at doing that. He's a, he's a versatile guy. He's not as strong on the pod as he is professionally, but I think we've established that already. Gary and I um, enjoy doing the podcast together probably more than we enjoyed working together. And I don't know if, uh, if that, how common that is. I imagine it's fairly common that if there are people in your life that you are friends with, uh, but you said to yourself, I, I, I can't really work well with this person, or vice versa. You know, you seem to work well together, you gel fairly well at the office, but there's something and you can't quite click as friends. I just remember Gary and I used to fight a lot when we worked together. So we haven't actually, well, we haven't been at the same agency probably for at least 10 years. And when he was at Leo Burnett, I don't think we really worked together for the last five years he was there. So we haven't worked together in many years. Um, but, you know, we obviously remained friends. Um, Gary and I had, um, uh, we used to have fights when we were out on production. And um, there was one production we did together, and it was a very, it was a very nerve-wracking production for me because on this production... And I think it was for Seven Up. Was it for no? It was for yeah. No, it was for. I'm sorry, Coca Cola. It was for Coca Cola. On this production, I was going to have the opportunity, and and the opportunity was totally unrelated to the shoot. I was going to have an opportunity to meet one of my musical heroes from my youth. Um, I had acquired a tape of a concert from a group I liked growing up, uh, a group called Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I used to really like that band. And um, they, did a, they, they had a concert that was televised by ABC many years ago in the, in the 70s. <clears throat> and I got a copy of what probably was, if not the master copy of it, uh, maybe the next generation down, because my, uh, my dad worked at ABC for many years. And... He found out that um, in their inf infinite wisdom, ABC was going to be destroying a lot of old videotape masters. So he asked me, um, would I want a copy of this tape? Because um, he knew I liked this band and he saw the, the memo come across his desk. And I said, oh my gosh, absolutely, please, please get a copy of this. So he got a copy of the tape and he brought it home and I kept it for years. And um, after a while, I kind of realized, what, what am I, there's really no reason for me to have this tape. I, I, how many times can I watch the same tape? So I wrote a letter to the uh, Keith Emerson's agent. And I said, I've got this tape, and I'd like to give it to you if you'd like it. So I got a note back a few weeks later from his manager and said, no, he'd love to have it. Uh, you know, 
And I said, well, uh, and I knew, I knew that he lived at the time, he lived in Los Angeles. So I said, you know, I'm going to be in LA for these two weeks. Maybe we can come up with a time and I can bring the tape to you. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, they, they, he and his manager invited me and Gary to the House of Blues in LA where they were members. And we went to the House of Blues and I think we saw Eddie Money there. I can't remember who else was there, but there were, there were a few people there. And uh, we had, <clears throat> you know, we had a nice, uh, had a nice evening. Um, you know, it was, it was fun. I gave him the tape. And the funny thing I remember about the tape was I made it very clear. I said, this tape is, is for your enjoyment only. <laughs> I said, uh, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't put this on an album or anything. You can't, you can't release it because I don't have the rights to it. It's just a, it's just a dub of the master. And they nodded. They understood. Sure, sure, no problem. Thank you very much. So nice of you. And it was a really nice evening. <laughs> so um, about a year later, <laughs> I get a compact disc in the mail addressed to me. And <laughs> wouldn't you know? It's that concert released on a, on a CD. I guess it was a CD at the time. <laughs> so he, they totally ignored my message that they, they, they couldn't release it. They released it anyway, and they gave me a nice little special thanks to Tom Karamitis in the liner notes. But of course, I was scared to death. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get sued now. That, that evening at the House of Blues, um, was uh, followed a long fight that Gary and I had had because I, Gary and I were working on a project for a Coca-Cola brand called Fruitopia. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have Keith em ask Keith Emerson to do a music, a demo? You know, we pay, pay companies a little bit of money just to do a demo track for us, you know, to see if the music will work. And I remember... The money was insignificant. I think we paid $1,500. And I said, hey, Gary, could we get ask Keith Emerson if he wants to do a demo? And Gary wouldn't do it. <clears throat> he said, nope, don't want to do it. Not right. Not, not right for this project. And I remember just being so angry. I had these vivid memories of standing and having a shouting match with Gary at the Four Seasons Hotel I think in the end, Gary relented at the last minute. He, he, he relented and we ended up having Keith Emerson do a demo, which we didn't end up using. We had a, other music that worked out better. But um, I remember uh, Gary and I, that was, one of the bigger, that was one of the bigger fights we had on a production. Well, I've been blathering on here. I have no idea if this podcast is even going to be listenable. Uh, if you've made it this far, thank you. Um, and um, next time, Gary and I, I think are going to do a podcast together, and we're probably going to have somebody on to tell us whose, pod, whose solo podcast they like better. Well, if you want to write and let me know what you thought of this meandering episode of So There, uh, write at so there at yahoo.com. And I will, or Gary, will write you back. And until next time, this is Tom Karamitis saying thanks for listening to So There.
Sometimes I feel so insecure And love so distant and obscure Remains the cure 